I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. To celebrate Mother's Day, I invited a mom friend of mine to talk to me about her disease journey and her work in patient advocacy. I met Mariah Leach at a patient advocacy conference called Healthy Voices. Brooke Abbott and I were developing IBD moms at the time, and Mariah was working on her site called Mamas Facing Forward. We got together and compared notes. Mariah began her advocacy work with her blog, which is called From This Point Forward. She journaled about her diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis and how it affected her life, both as a law school student and then as a young wife and mother. She discovered that there wasn't enough information and support for moms who live with autoimmune diseases, and so she founded Mamas Facing Forward. She has a website and a private Facebook group where moms with chronic illness can find help with the issues that they face. What I discovered after meeting Mariah at Healthy Voices and then being a member of her group is that we have different diagnoses, but many of the problems that we have are similar and we can learn so much from one another. Mariah, thanks for coming on about IBD. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Hi, I'm happy to be here. I wonder if you would start by telling me a little bit about your disease journey. Sure. So I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis when I was 25 years old. Uh, At the time, I was right in the middle of a dual degree program. I was working on a law degree and a master's at the same time. And um, my symptoms came on really quickly but at first they were really easy to excuse. You know, I had some pain in my toe, but I had dropped something on it, so maybe it healed funny. And then my wrists and fingers were hurting, but it was the middle of exams and I was in front of my computer like 24 hours a day. And the fatigue I excused the same way, it was exams. I thought everything would get better when the semester ended, but then the semester ended and everything got worse. And then my knees swelled up to the size of grapefruits and I basically couldn't walk. And I got diagnosed pretty quickly after that. So I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for more than a decade at this point. Um, And I know that this podcast is about IBD and I, I do not have IBD, but I do think there's a lot of things about my disease journey that I have in common with people who are living with IBD. For example, I use biologic medications to treat my RA, so I know what it's like to get an infusion or to stab myself with a needle. Uh, I also know what it's like to juggle a million doctor's appointments or fight with health insurance company to get the care that I need or to have to cancel social events because my body isn't cooperating. And I understand what it's like to work towards a major life goal like graduating or starting a career or starting a family while constantly trying to manage your health alongside that. I have two questions about your diagnosis journey. The first one is that from what I've come to understand about the rheumatoid arthritis patient experience, and that's mostly through uh, being involved with, with you and your group and your advocacy, which we'll talk about, is that it sometimes takes people a very long time to get diagnosed. And then also, is it common for rheumatoid arthritis to come on quickly as it happened in your case? I So I consider myself, you know, quote unquote, lucky that I got diagnosed so quickly because if it had to happen, it was nice to have it happen quickly. And then I could start working towards finding a treatment that worked. I've definitely talked to a lot of people living with uh, RA who struggled a lot longer to get a diagnosis. And I do think that in many cases, 
mine was severe. It came on quickly. And I think that does happen, but also I think it can happen kind of slowly over, over time. And that's one of the really interesting things about rheumatoid arthritis and kind of autoimmune arthritis in general is that it seems like it can occur in a lot of different ways in a lot of different people from, from everybody that I've talked to. Everyone has their own unique experience with the same diagnosis. So something that we talk about a lot with IBD is that, yes, we have the two, really three buckets that IBD falls into. And sometimes it feels like these are sort of arbitrary buckets because we need them in order to get a diagnosis, in order to get treatment, because that's how the FDA works and how like our mm-hmm. healthcare system works. Do you feel or do you have any thoughts on an idea? Is rheumatoid arthritis similar in that you may be diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, but not everyone's rheumatoid arthritis might be the same. Are there subsections of rheumatoid arthritis? Yeah, I mean, there there definitely are. The way you get diagnosed with RA kind of varies. There's no like one test that's like, yep, you have RA. There is something uh, called a rheumatoid factor. And some people who, with positive rheumatoid factors have RA and some don't. And some people with negative re- rheumatoid factors have RA and some don't. So it is sounds sort of similar where there's a lot of different ways that you can end up with an RA diagnosis. Yeah, that sounds right. It's very similar. And and that's what's so interesting is that, well, you and I first met at Healthy Voices, which is a conference for patient advocates, and it's across several different disease spectrums. And I guess I always sort of nebulously knew that we had a lot, a lot in common, but then when we all got together in a room, I really realized how common the patient experience was. So of course you get diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and you start a blog. (laughs) I did. (laughs) So your blog is called From This Point Forward. Can you tell me about what prompted you to start it? And was it challenging for you to start publishing sort of like personal things about your health? So to be honest, there weren't that many blogs, you know, when I started doing this and I sort of started it kind of to help myself work through what I was experiencing and the feelings I was having. I've always been a writer. Writing is my profession. Like it made sense to write about it. And I found it kind of practical at the beginning because I gave the link to close friends and family who wanted to know what was going on. You know, I'm in this long several month process where I'm looking for a treatment that works and you just have to try it and you have to wait and see. And I got really tired of repeating myself to each and every person in my family or my friends who wanted to hear about it. So it was started as sort of a convenient way to just be like, here's the info, here's what's happening. And I didn't really think about it being a public thing on the internet, but it was a public thing on the internet. So eventually I connected with other people who were living with RA and who were having similar experiences and from there, it just sort of grew into sharing my experiences with a wider community, which felt good to try to do, to connect with people and to do something kind of positive with an experience that was, you know, mostly negative at the at least at the beginning. And from there, you know, I sort of launched into patient advocacy. So I guess I started the blog to sort of sort out my own feelings and it like took on a life of its own after a few years. 
Right. It's so interesting how so many patients that I interview say almost exactly the same thing. It's a way to <laughs> process what you're going through. It's a way to keep everybody updated. I know that's so hard. Like when I was dealing with my surgeries, having to make all those phone calls. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. it was ridiculous. Like it's so much easier just to like update a status or write a blog post and then everybody go read this. Well, not to mention there's there's also an emotional toll on you, especially if there's like a frustrating experience. You know, the first biologic that I tried, it didn't work. And so that was a frustrating experience. And so to kind of go back to square one and then have to tell everybody that I was going back to square one over and over again, there's an emotional toll there. So it, it was sort of a protection to write it down and then be like, you look there and let's have a normal, let's have my real life over here with my friends. Do you feel a little bit of a separation between who you are as writer and rheumatoid arthritis activist Mariah and then Mariah, who's also a mother and a friend and a wife and all those other things? Not anymore. I think my since my career morphed kind of into patient advocacy, you know, when I finished law school and had my degrees, I looked at my health and I looked at starting a career and I looked at starting a family and I went for family. And so then my patient advocacy and my writing turned into my part-time career while I raised my kids. And so now it's sort of melded, but certainly at the beginning, I, I had a path that I knew I was on. Like I had a career that I was working towards and like, this was just a side thing that I had to take care of and then get back on my path. And that was how I felt at the beginning, certainly. Yeah. And now your path is essentially a new path. Or is this a, br- or is this a branch <laughs> yeah. off of your path? Well, no, my path took a turn. Yeah. And, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. And I think in a lot of ways, I ended up happier than I might have otherwise, because I, I evaluated what was really important to me instead of, you know, doing what I thought I was supposed to do, I guess. But it, it was definitely a change in my path. Right, for sure. I think a lot of people can identify with that. So I was reading through your blog. I was trying to read through your blog. You're so (laughs) prolific, which I love because you've been able to give so many different facets of the patient experience and your own experience as a blogger, as a, as a mother, as a wife, as all of these things. And you've been blogging long enough that you've been able to sort of document even like your children's lives through the years. I was reading one of your blog posts where you only had two kids. And then I was like, wait, <laughs> I know she has three. There was one post in particular that I really loved because you invented a word. And I just, I just love that you invented this word. I don't know that I'm going to say it correctly though. Cryard? Is that how you say it? Yeah. What does that mean? Cryard? Yeah. Cryard is basically being so completely physically and mentally drained that you don't want to do anything except sit and cry. And I first experienced this feeling uh, during the semester immediately after my RA diagnosis, where I basically, like I said, tried to go forward with my life on the same path, kind of as if nothing has changed, you know? So I kept going at the same rate and I just hit a wall where I just didn't, I didn't really know what else to do other than sit and cry. It's it's a spot where it's really hard to see how to keep moving forward. And, you know, eventually I realized I'd have to slow down and change the way I approach things. And I've definitely become better at managing my energy in the years since, but it's still a useful word. Like, especially as a new mom, that's a good word, (laughs) cryard. Many times where you're like, go to sleep, baby. I am cryard. 
absolutely even in the toddler years i remember sitting yes. down with like I, I don't know i don't know if my son was two or three and i'm sitting down with him and i'm trying to have like a rational conversation with him and i'm like you have to let me sleep sometimes <laughs> you know trying to rationalize with a toddler that i needed to sleep it was kind of ridiculous on my part i wonder if you would tell me a bit about the facing forward series on your blog and what facing forward means to you so I called my blog uh, from this point forward because the way I resolved to live after I figured out that RA was going to change my life was just to keep facing forward no matter what. And whether that was a week at a time or a day at a time or an hour at a time, the important part was to just keep facing forward. And I'm not always perfect at doing this. Nobody is. The beauty of it, though, is that you can pick a point in time, any point in time, and start facing forward again from that point. And that's why there's a period in the middle of my blog's title. It's to remind me that I can always pick a new point and start facing forward again from there. And so after going to conferences like Healthy Voices and talking to people online, I realized that I was not the only one trying to maintain this perspective. So I started a series on my blog called Facing Forward, where over about two and a half years, I interviewed over a hundred people who were living with chronic illness. And I asked them each what they did to keep facing forward. And these individuals, we, I think I counted it up and it was over 110 different diseases and conditions. It was all kinds of different things that these people, it was anyone who identified with having a chronic illness. And there were many, many different diagnoses. And even though everyone had really different diagnoses, there were a lot of underlying themes across their answers. For example, most people agreed that it's really important to recognize feelings of grief and depression that's caused by chronic illness, but also at the same time that we should make a real effort to focus on positives and practice gratitude. You know, finding that balance was a theme that came up with many different people across many different illnesses. I may be making a leap here, but it seemed to me that your blog series led you to start thinking about another project, which is called Mamas Facing Forward, which is now also a website and you have a private Facebook group. This is not easy to do running a website and a Facebook group and all of the social media and everything surrounding it. You're also raising three kids. What are some of the challenges that you've faced since you've started Mamas Facing Forward? Well, I, I mean, I think you're right that the that my blog kind of led to launching this project because as I went forward on my RA chronic illness journey, uh, I think the biggest challenge that I've faced overall has been starting my family and navigating myself through three pregnancies while also managing my disease. Each one was different. Each one had different challenges. And I realized that an area where I might be able to really contribute would be in a focus on chronic illness and parenting, because at least from my perspective, it sort of didn't exist. I, I wanted a resource like that and it wasn't there. So I thought, hey, maybe I can build one or at least, you know, start building one. And so I, I think, you know, as I said about the Facing Forward series, we were talking about finding that balance between acknowledging dark feelings and working towards positivity. And that's certainly a challenge that I have faced in building Mamas Facing Forward, uh, particularly the, the Facebook community, because I think finding the balance there can be more or less challenging depending on where you are in your chronic illness journey. Like, for example, I struggled a lot more with grief and anxiety and depression when I was originally diagnosed. Today, it's much easier for me to 
find positivity than it was at that time. So if you have a Facebook group that has nearly 2,000 people in it, and there's lots of different conditions and everyone's at a different place on their chronic illness journey, it can be really challenging to kind of find the appropriate tone because you want to remind people to keep facing forward and find hope, but you're not, don't want to be Pollyanna about it. And you also want to hold space for negative feelings, but you don't want to be dragging people down. So finding that balance has been a real challenge and it's something I've worked really hard to achieve in my group and with the project as a whole. What keeps you passionate and what keeps you engaged while coping with raising your family and all the other things that you need to do as a mother and a wife and a human, but then also keeping mamas facing forward, facing forward? I mean, I think I'm particularly passionate about this project because of my own experiences. When I was first considering pregnancy as a woman living with an RA diagnosis, you know, I had other friends who were getting pregnant at the same time, but they weren't dealing with the things that I was dealing with. They weren't dealing with, well, what if I have to change my treatment? And what if my RA flares? And then what do, how, do, how does that impact my pregnancy or my chances of getting pregnant? And so there, I had all these questions. And, and, you know, not just the pregnancy questions, things like, can I be a good mom and have RA? Like, will I be able to take care of a baby? Will I be able, like, am I doing... I making a bad choice? So what I really wanted, I was desperate to find someone to talk to who had been through what I was going through and, and could, you know, counsel me or, you know, just tell me I wasn't, you know, completely off the wall for wanting to pursue this. Um, I wanted to meet a real woman with real kids who was managing, um, even if it wasn't easy. But I couldn't find anyone. I mean, there wasn't as much social media at the time. There were fewer blogs. Uh, the best I could do was to uh, order a book all the way from Australia that did really address the issues I was looking at, but it didn't really give me the connection I was looking for. And so my goal was to create a space and to where people could share these experiences and know that they're not alone and to make resources easier to find because now these resources are starting to be developed and I want women to be able to find them if they need them. And I, I don't care if it's my site or another site, I, I want to help people find the resources that they're looking for um, because it was challenging for me and I felt very alone. And if I can make it so any other person doesn't feel that way, I, that is worthwhile to me. What I find interesting too sometimes about being in your group is that the chronic illness community and the and motherhood and chronic illness, we do face a lot of the same challenges. But there are things in particular that have to do with rheumatoid arthritis that didn't occur to me. For instance, the people who taught who ask questions about how can I like button the baby clothes and things like mm -hmm. that. Like these are challenges that someone with IBD who does not have a form of arthritis might not face, but they're very specific to your community. And, you know, the healthies would not be facing this, facing this at all. I mean, parenting is a physical task for anyone just to begin with. And so if you're having physical issues, it can be really challenging those teeny tiny snaps that they put all over baby clothes. Uh, oh my God, no. But especially the ones on the pajamas where there's like 10 snaps in like, no. I threw all of them away and bought ones with zippers, like forget it. So, you, but you have to 
think about how you're going to fix these challenges. Like, how are you going to manage? And for me, it was a lot of trial and error. And so if I can create a space where moms with RA can talk to each other, they can come up with, with ideas. The one I always think of is there was a discussion in the group at one point, this is before I had a daughter about how to put a rubber band in your kid's hair, how to put a ponytail up when your hands and wrists were giving you trouble. How could you do it? And it wasn't something at the time that I could give any advice on because I I had boys, I never put a ponytail in, but lots of moms piped in with different techniques and different products that made it easier and, you know, made it easier for the mom who asked the question to, to be the mom that she wanted to be and accomplish what she wanted to accomplish without having to fight through trial and error by herself. I just love that. Part of having a group where the people can come in and answer each other's questions is just, it's so validating because your experience is your experience and you can speak to a lot of different things. But like you said, you had, there was a facet that you didn't yet have any, you know, great, you know, ideas maybe to share, but then you had other members that did. And so Mm -hmm. that just speaks to uh, how important this, this group is. And everyone in your group is so kind to one another too, you know? I mean, I, I am a member of the group. Like I not only I I lead it because I started it, but I also benefit from it personally to connect to other people who, you know, each of my pregnancy experiences was different. I was pregnant, uh, you know, the third time around while this group existed. And so I, I benefit from it, from the connections as well. Right. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it's perfect. It works out so well. We're recording this in May of 2020, you know, when there's some big stuff going on and (laughs) we're, we're quarantining and trying to juggle everything involved with that. Plus what we normally have, how is your family managing those things? And how, how are you managing with, for instance, the distance learning? my oldest is in second grade and my middle kiddo is in kindergarten. So I'm lucky that the distance learning aspect isn't super rigorous or super necessary. So I do let things go if it's causing more stress than benefit. Um, That being said, I'm, you know, I'm trying to keep up with it and it's a lot to juggle, especially because I have a two-year-old to keep entertained while managing two different grades and house and family and work on the side. Um, I've found it helpful to have a little bit of a routine, not only for the kids' sake, but also because I use it to build in little breaks for myself. Uh, For example, we actually start each school day by listening to a podcast. Uh, We chose an educational kids' podcast, and every morning when we're ready to start school, I put one on, it's 20 or 30 minutes, and that gives me half an hour to drink my morning coffee while it's still hot, collect myself to face the rest of the day. You know, I don't have to jump right in right away. Um, I'm also still packing lunches and snacks the night before, like I did for school. And that way at lunchtime, there's no debate over what we're having for lunch. I just put it down in front of them. And then I also get to sit down and eat my lunch instead of running around meal prepping and catering to requests. So I try to build in these little breaks for myself into our routine. Uh, And I'm also reminding myself that play is learning and that, you know, they can learn so much just from playing with each other. And, you know, sometimes the most important thing I can do is let them veg out in front of a screen so that I can take a break myself and not burn myself out. I think that's right. I think we have to give ourselves 
the breaks, wherever those breaks may come. I know that I have really loosened my restrictions on screen time, especially because (laughs) (laughs) um, like I can't invite another kid over right now and then Mm -hmm. they can just go play or, or play outside even while I sit at the table outside and supervise. That's impossible. So I've had to let them get on, you know, whatever messaging system to be able to talk to their friends. So I don't feel great about it, but at the same time, I feel like that's that's what we have to do. No, I agree. I definitely have given my kids access to apps that I wouldn't have done for years, probably until they requested it, because now it's necessary to let them communicate with the outside world. I realize that my kids are missing their friends and their school routine more than they're actually verbalizing to me. I mean, I think there's definitely a, there's a big change in their world to go from spending every day at school to spending eight weeks in our house with just their siblings. And I think for what I think for one thing, the two-year-old is doing great. Like she loves having everybody home. All, she's a third baby. She likes chaos. Like she's into having everybody around. Um, we are her friends, <laughs> but it's, it's much more of a challenge for, for the older kiddos. Um, so, you know, we've done things like uh, my oldest made a, made a word search for his, for one of his friends. And we, we scanned it and sent it to his mom so that they could do it. Um, and that was fun. Or my, my, uh, my middle kiddo, my kindergartner has a, has a special friend, a girlfriend, but not a girlfriend, but they're real cute together. And so he, she, he drew a picture for her and we sent it to his, to the parents. And, and so I guess we're just doing our best to, to normalize things and, and, uh, make sure the home is still happy. Those are great ideas too. I'm like, I'm noting them down because I think I might use those as well. So for this summer, I put my kids in camp usually, you know, on and off during <laughs> the summer. But honestly, we don't even know yet here in Connecticut if we're going to be able to have camps or even what those camps are going to look like. I'm getting the sense that they might have to scale things back. And then I don't know how they're going to decide who gets to come and who doesn't if they have to scale back their registration. You have a great idea in the Mamas Facing Forward Stay Home Summer Camp. So would you please tell me about this and how parents can get involved? Sure. So, you know, my kids are looking forward to the end of the school year like any other kid is. But for our family, summer usually involves a lot of traveling. We visit national parks. They, we, they attend different summer camps. When they're home, we go to the zoo. We go to the playground. We go to the swimming pool. And all of that seems like it might be out of the question for the foreseeable future. And even if some of the camps do run, I question, well, can I send my kids if I'm at a higher risk? Like, is it like, if it's safe for kids to go, is it safe for my kids to go? Um, And so that's something I would have to consider. Although so far it looks like all of our camps are being canceled. So all of a sudden I realized that we were about to spend an entire summer at home with, with no structure and no camps and no traveling. And so I panicked a little bit and I decided that I needed to find a way to make the summer easier for me. And so I got, I got the idea of a stay home summer camp and to provide a little bit of general structure for my kids and also to kind of make it fun for them because they're sad about missing out on these things that we usually do too. And, you know, I think I like, I think it's very important to give kids 
a lot of time for free play, but I feel like mine are happier and more cooperative if we have at least some sort of activity each day. So I decided that we would have a different theme for each week of the summer and that we would have activities that would go with that theme. And so I realized that if I was going to do all this work coming up with these themes and these activity ideas for myself, I might as well share them because maybe other parents could benefit from them too. So I'm, I'm planning to share these ideas. So each week there'll be a different theme and each theme will have a menu of ideas for uh, things to do, crafts to make, uh, books and movies you can watch that are on the theme topic just to sort of make it a little more fun. And I'm going to publish each menu on mamasfacingforward.com. And I've created a stay home summer camp Facebook group where people can share what they're up to. And the idea is that you can follow along with my family as we do it in real time, or you can do it on your own, uh, follow whatever schedule works for you. And my hope is that these ideas will make it a little easier for parents to get through a summer with their kids at home, particularly parents who are dealing with their own health issues. And, you know, most of us suddenly don't have the outside help that we usually depend on, you know, babysitters or school or camp or whatever. Um, but, you know, I think it's something that could be useful for any parent and um, it's been fun to develop it. Uh, so useful. I mean, holy cow, very useful. And, you know, something that you brought up that I love is the idea that you're approaching it from this sort of inclusive standpoint that it's going to be from from your perspective, which is a person that is also dealing with a chronic illness. Because I think sometimes I go to blogs or YouTube or wherever I go to find things to do with my kids. And sometimes I'm like, well, that's just right out. Like, this is a healthy person's idea of what we can do, you know? <laughs> So the idea that there's something for us moms who have maybe a little something else to consider is this is going to be wonderful. I'm trying to keep it simple and I'm trying to make the suggestions, you know, not super complicated and with whatever stuff that you're probably likely to have on hand at home and then with educational on theme screen time so you don't have to feel guilty about giving them screen time to get yourself a break. Right. And I love that you said that stuff that you have at home, too, because the Walt Disney World resorts like posting things about the recipes that they serve in the parks and then they're letting these recipes out, I guess, or whatever for us all to try to create these things at home. And a lot of times I look at the recipe and I'm like, I cannot get my hand on any of these ingredients. Are you kidding me right now? Like I can barely get flour. I can't even get the bigger marshmallows to like make s'mores. None of us are going to the craft store right now. And I tried to order tempera paint from Amazon and you cannot get it. You can't get tempera paint because apparently everybody wants tempera paint right now. So I'm trying to find workarounds and things you can do with what you have, because obviously for, for people who fall into a higher risk category, we're, we got to stay home a little bit more than, than other people might. And so what can we work with, with what we have at home? Exactly. And to your point, even if my kids are able to go to the camps that I scheduled and frankly already paid for, I'm going to have to make that decision as to whether or not I consider that to be an acceptable risk. Because if they do come home and they have been exposed, not only the idea that I could then be exposed as an immunocompromised person, but also that we would then have to self-isolate again for 
14 days or, or whatever is suggested. So there's a lot for us to consider there. So the stay-at-home camp is really looking very attractive to me right now, Mariah. <laughs> Well, we're gonna, my family is going to start the week of May 25th, and our first theme is going to be outer space. So that's what's coming. I love outer space. It's the best. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to cover? My main goal is, I feel like, particularly for parents who are living with chronic illnesses, there's really unique challenges that parents with chronic illnesses face that I don't think get enough attention. Uh, there's a lot of good parenting resources out there and there's a lot of chronic illness resources out there. And I feel like there's not as much overlap between those two as there should be. And so I, I like to do whatever I can to kind of help fill that gap and, and encourage others to help fill that gap because there's a lot of us out there who, who could benefit from it. I agree with you completely. I've so benefited from your group and I know that so many other parents have as well. Would you remind me of your social media uh, Mama's Facing Forward has a private Facebook group on on Facebook that's open to anyone who's a mom or wants to become one someday or is considering becoming one uh, who lives with a chronic illness is welcome to join that group. Uh, there's also a public Facebook page for Mama's Facing Forward where I share resources and articles. And I feel like that could be useful for partners or family members of people who want to learn how to support their family member with a chronic illness. We also have an Instagram page, which I believe the handle is Mamas Forward. And uh, I guess we're on Twitter too. I'm not very good at Twitter, but, but we're there. <laughs> <laughs> and I never mastered Twitter. It's funny. Twitter's kind of an interesting space. And I'm on Twitter a lot simply because a lot of the gastroenterologists are on there and it's kind of exploded in the past year or so. So it's really a big place for IBD. I don't know about rheumatoid arthritis. But that's exactly my issue with Twitter is it goes so fast. I feel like I can't keep up and I have trouble absorbing information from Twitter, but I'm trying. And I think you're right because there's the cool thing about Twitter is you can make a lot of different connections there and you know, figure out the way things overlap. And I think that's really awesome. I just, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we can um, bring you along on the Twitter. <laughs> the Twitter. <laughs> the Twitter. Um, I think you have the Facebook handles and I think you have the Instagram handled. So um, thank you so very much for talking with me, for spending a little bit of your child-free time with me today <laughs> and for your advocacy. It is was so needed and is so important. And I'm so glad that you're in this space. I'm not glad that you had to, you know, be diagnosed with a chronic illness, <laughs> but I'm super glad that you are in the space and that you are helping parents who are looking for information that they need. So thank you so much, Mariah. Thank you for having me. Hey, super listener. Thank you to Mariah Leach for being such a strong voice in the rheumatoid arthritis and chronic illness communities. You can find Mariah on her blog at fromthispointforward.com, on Facebook as From This Point Forward, on Twitter as Mariah Forward, and on Instagram as From This Point.forward. You can follow Mamas Facing Forward at mamasfacingforward.com or on Facebook as Mamas Facing Forward and on Twitter and Instagram as Mamas Forward. You can also join the Mamas Facing Forward Stay Home Summer Camp group if you are looking for ways to keep your kids occupied this summer. I know I am. 
I will put all of this information in the show notes and on the episode 71 page on my site, aboutibd.com. Thanks for listening. And don't forget that you can find me all over the interwebs as About IBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as at aboutibd.com. If you've enjoyed this show, please share it on social media or tell a friend how to subscribe. Those little things that you can do will help me keep producing this show. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD. About IBD is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by me, Amber Tresca. Sound engineering is by Matt Cooney. Theme music is from Cooney Studio.